Hey friends, it's Weston, and I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to the Bowling Green Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If someone recommended this message to you, I hope that it encourages you. If you're here getting caught up on a week you missed, I hope that it challenges you. And if you're a visitor checking us out, I hope that it helps you connect with Jesus and his church. Whoever you are, whenever you're ready to take your next step closer to Jesus or to connect with a BGCC family, know that we're here for you. You can learn more about how to connect with us by downloading our app when you text BGCC app to 77977. There in the app, you can submit prayer requests, find out about upcoming events, and even give to help support our ministry, including this podcast. It's my prayer that God uses this message to encourage and equip you to take your next best step in life, which is always one step closer to Jesus. Well, there you go, the deep theological teaching of the fourth wise man that you missed growing up. I do wish, I do hope, I do believe that he is that kind of Savior. Today is the Sunday of Epiphany, and for most of the folks that grew up in this church or going to traditions like this, you're saying, what is that? Um, We're journeying this year through the church calendar, the Christian year, and we're exploring sort of these seasons of Jesus' life. And Epiphany is the season where we, we commemorate and celebrate the very first appearance of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Uh, Jesus was the promised Savior of the Jewish nation, but throughout Scripture, it was told that Jesus was going to be a light to the Gentiles, and the very first Gentiles that Jesus appears to are, in fact, the Magi, the wise men. And so today, we mark that as uh, a special day of, of God unfolding His plan in history. Now, I know that many of us have those little, you know, uh, crushes at home, those little nativity sets where you get, you know, baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph, and you put the shepherds in there, and then there's also wise men and angels, and, and it makes a nice scene, but it's, it's not, you know, how this would have played out. Um, the night that Jesus is born, the angels appear to the shepherds, and the shepherds all run to come to see this newborn king. Uh, and at that time, it seems from the text we're going to read here in a second, that the star appears in the sky, and that is the signal for the wise men to start coming. Uh, but this journey probably took a couple years, and by the time the wise men arrive, Jesus is not in the manger. They found a house, and they've moved into it, and this is where the wise men will show up. Now, I think this is an incredibly important story for us to get um, a better understanding on the ways that we might respond to Jesus Christ. I know that this is a story that, you know, we imagine, you know, kids, you know, dressed up in bathrobes and, you know, funny felt hats and those kinds of things. But, but there's a whole lot of, I think, really practical and important uh, implications for us who might be you know, wanting to follow after Jesus. And so I want to look at the text here. It's in Matthew chapter 2. If you've got a Bible or a Bible-enabled device, um, love for you to follow along. Uh, We have it on the screen as well. But here's what it tells us in Matthew chapter 2. And Matthew's one of Jesus' disciples, and so he records this account. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, so that's, that's come and gone, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. King Herod, when he heard this, was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And so he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. And they asked, where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. 
For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, spoiler alert, this is all subterfuge, right? Because King Herod, what he really wants to do is to kill the child. And he'll kill all of the infant boys that were born around the time, which is that's how we know how long the wise men had been searching uh, for the baby. Uh, But moving on, that'll come later. It says, as soon as you find him, report to me. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And that's why we believe there were three wise men. We don't know how many, but we know there were three gifts, so we figure each one brought a gift. And they don't mention the hummus, so the fourth isn't mentioned. And having been warned in a dream to not go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Right here we see that the wise men... Uh, make it real clear that Jesus is worth following after. Jesus is worth pursuing and seeking. And I think one of the really great messages of this text is this, is that God is not playing hide and seek with us. It's not as though God has hidden himself and he wants you to find him and it's going to take you some effort. No, God wants to be found and is easily found, which makes the, the characters in this story that don't find him, I think it's even more convicting because you've got the chief priests and the scribes and these, these, these teachers of the law, the ones that Herod consults and says, hey, where is this baby to be born? And they don't go. You see, these folks, they're just spectators. And spectators watch. That's what a spectator does. A spectator doesn't play. A spectator doesn't participate. A spectator doesn't affect the outcome of a game or a set of circumstances. A spectator is an observer. And that's what the chief priests and teachers of the law were, these scribes. That's what they were. Now, it's interesting to me, if you put yourself in their shoes, these are people who have dedicated their life to studying Scripture. They are people who have dedicated their lives to knowing all that there is about what God has done and has said he's going to do. And they know, they're well-versed in what is supposed to happen with the Messiah so much that they know where he's supposed to be born. But once they find out that, man, the sign has come and the baby's been born, they say, hey, he's born in Bethlehem. Good luck with that. Let us know how things go. I mean, wouldn't you think if you've been poring over these books and, and you know, just, just saying, God, man, you know, what's going to happen? And, and, and now history's unfolding before your eyes and you choose to not participate? It's because they're just spectators. They just want to watch. Now, I, I get spiritually, sometimes we maybe wrestle with what this means, but I think if you were to sort of maybe imagine a different type of scenario, it's real easy to see who spectators are. Uh, I mean, let's just say for, for fun that you decided you were going to climb Mount Everest because that's just something you just have always wanted to do in your life. Uh, good luck with that. I'm not, I'm not particularly interested, but, but you're going to go ahead and do that. And so because there's not a lot of mountains in Bowling Green, um, you're going to start you know, your mountaineering with smaller, more modest efforts. You're going to you know, climb to the top of, of Hospital Hill you know, in town. You're going to join a mountaineering club, and then you're going to maybe move out you know, east a little bit, and you're going to climb the Smokies. And you're going to, you know, hike up the trail there. And 
Once you get that handled, maybe you join one of those online like communities of mountaineers and mountaineerers. I don't even know all the right language. And so you start climbing more mountains and you learn from other people how to climb. And maybe you go out west and you're going to go to the Rockies and you're going to climb the peaks there. And then once you've got that down, you say, man, I'm going to do a little international travel. And you go climb some of those, those peaks in the Alps. And, and you figure out, man, you, how to use the oxygen to do all the climbing. And, man, you finally think that you're ready to go and climb Mount Everest. Now, you file your paperwork. You get your plane tickets. You get all that stuff handled. And you show up there at the base camp. And it's there, it's kind of a small city, and it's there that you're going to meet the guides. You've, you've got a couple that you want to meet in order to sort of know who you're going to have, what Sherpa you're going to have take you to the very top uh, of this. And, and so you sit down with one guy, and it seems that he's incredibly knowledgeable, and just almost from memory, he can sort of sketch all the trails that surround Mount Everest, and he can not only sketch out the trails, but he can tell you where, where people have died and, and the routes that were successful, and, and you can map out all those different places, and he shows you how to use the, the equipment and the safety gear, and you're really impressed with his knowledge, and you say, hey, why don't you come with me, and we're going to go to the top of the mountain. You're clearly the guy. And uh, the guy responds. He says, um, I, I'm sorry. No, you, you misunderstand me. I don't actually climb. I've never been higher than the space camp. I just sort of, this is where I'm at. I'm, I'm sort of a Monday morning quarterback, you know, Monday morning coach. I just like to watch after everything's happened. I don't, I don't do that. Now, you wouldn't pick this guy to go with you. Not that he'd go. Because he's not had any experience. He's just a spectator. Now, let me tell you, in the church, this kind of thing happens all the time. I don't know if this is you or not, but there are people that love to spectate their faith. They just come and they, they watch. They just come and they watch. And they just, you know, they come to church and sit in a chair and they just watch. And their life is no different on Monday as a result of being a Christian. There's, their, their, their life is no different because they're following after Jesus because they're not. They're just watching people follow after Jesus. And, and, you know, let's be honest with ourselves. We've made it even easier now to spectate because you don't even have to come to church, right? You can just do it online and you can just sit at home in your pajamas and you can just spectate there. It's real easy to be a spectator. Spectators watch. But I'll tell you what happens. Spectators don't ever find Jesus Christ. The scribes, the priests, they're all there in Jerusalem. They don't go find him. Their life is not changed. It is not different. That's how you can tell whether you're a spectator or not. It's not whether you're here or whether you're at home. It's is your life different as you pursue and follow after Jesus Christ? That's the question you've got to ask. So you've got the chief priests and the scribes. They're spectators. You've got King Herod. He's not a spectator, although he watches from afar. He's a different animal altogether. King Herod is a cynic, and cynics attack you know, if you were going to hike up Mount Everest, you would meet some cynics, you know, on your journey. You probably wouldn't meet them at base camp. You probably wouldn't meet them in your online, you know, Facebook mountain climbing group. You're going to meet them probably at home. They're probably co-workers that you have. As you start to share your dreams and your ambitions and you say, man, you know what's happening? You know what I'm really excited about? I'm going to climb Mount Everest. And their response isn't, oh man, good luck with that. Their response is, Really? Why would, you, why would you want to do that? Are you sure? I mean, it's expensive, and people die, and I mean, it just takes a lot of time and effort, and you got to get in shape, and I don't know. I don't know about this. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about this. 
This is how cynics are. They, they attack. They, they, they see your drive. They see your ambition. They see your motivation. And maybe it's that they feel threatened by it. Maybe it's that your drive and ambition and your desire to, to go farther and be better and do all those things, maybe what it does is it makes them feel convicted on the inside and they think, you know what, um, I guess I'm not really living that up. And so instead of making some improvements or just being quiet and watching like a spectator, they'll choose to tear you down and to attack. Now, King Herod, he's a little more subtle, right? He's not going to do that. He's just going to kill all the babies. That's going to be King Herod's approach. But you've met him in your life, too. You've met cynics in your faith as you've started to think about, man, I want to take my faith seriously this year. And maybe you've decided that you're going to be engaged in different ways. Maybe you're going to, maybe you're going to start reading through Scripture and somebody say, wait a minute, that, that book's old. What are you going to be reading through that for? Or maybe you're going to start serving. You say, man, I'm going, to, I'm going to give, I'm not going to just come and spectate. I'm going to serve and I'm going to be engaged and, and I'm going to do something. And so you start to volunteer in some way, shape, or form in some capacity. And people are going, why are you giving all your time up to do that? Why, why are you serving? What, like, what's the point? You know, help me understand. Or maybe you're going to start giving and you say, man, this is the year I'm going to get my finances under control. I'm going to start to tithe. And you start to tithe and people go, man, you know what? You can do a lot with that money that you're going to give. Friends, we're surrounded by cynics, and we shouldn't be surprised when cynics attack because that's what they do. Cynics attack. Spectators watch. Cynics attack. But neither of them find Jesus. Only followers find Jesus. Only followers find Jesus. You know, the, the magi in this scenario are really the least equipped people to find Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've thought about that for a second, but they're actually the least equipped to find Jesus Christ. They sort of, they, they tip their hand real quickly as they step into what is a major social faux pas at this point in time. Because as they come and they say, hey, where's this king that's been born king of the Jews? What they're doing is actually insulting King Herod, but they've got no clue. They assume that the capital city is where the king will be born. They don't know about the prophecy like the scribes do. Now, King Herod, he had not been born king of the Jews, in case you're wondering. He was a sort of power broker in Rome, mid-level manager kind of person, and he wants to have more authority and power, and so he aligns himself with a very influential family there in Jerusalem, a family called the Maccabees. These were Jewish patriots, revolutionaries, and they were also the high priests. And so when the, the Magi come and say, hey, you know, where's this king been born king of the Jews? Herod is insulted by this. And the Magi, they don't know any better. They don't, they don't have the Scripture. They don't have the Scripture. They're not surrounded by experts. Herod's surrounded by experts. He should have known about this happening already. The, 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 the chief priests, the scribes, they should have known. They had given their life to studying Scripture. The Magi, what do they know? How do they know? You see, this is the thing that's interesting to me. We don't really know how the Magi know what they know. We don't know why they know what they know, really. We could play a little bit of a game and say, well, where would Jewish history and the Persian Magi history, where would they have had some sort of intersection that they might have shared some information? The answer is if you go back 600 years, so walk it back, 600 years from the time of Jesus Christ, you have a guy by the name of Daniel and his associates are in captivity in Persia, and they rise to a level of prominence and influence, and they themselves are called Magi. 
And because of this, it seems very likely that this prophet Daniel, he shares some sort of information that we don't have today with these magi. And he says, listen, there's a Messiah who's coming and he's not just going to be born king of the Jews, but he's going to save the whole world. And you keep looking for him. And this is the sign. And so guess what that would mean? I mean, if, if this theory plays out, and you have no reason to believe that it wouldn't. I mean, you can't prove me wrong. I can't prove me right. I'll own that. But if that's the case, then what this means is that for 600 years, these magi had been squinting up at the night sky, staring through some sort of crude ancient telescope, looking for a sign of the Savior of the world to be born. And when he is born, they go follow him. They've got a ways to go. Now, we make a lot about the gifts, the gold, frankincense, myrrh. We make a lot about that, but that's not really the gift. That's not really the sacrifice. The sacrifice were those 600 years of waiting. The sacrifice was when they saw the sign. They went home and kissed their wife and kids goodbye and said, man, I, what we've been waiting for, it's finally happened. We're going to leave and meet the Savior of the world, the King of the Jews. And they pack up everything. I mean, they could have sent an emissary. They could have sent messengers. They could have sent their gifts. But they would say, no, we want to go ourselves. And they pack up and they follow after Jesus Christ. And it's the Magi who are the least equipped, the least knowledgeable. They're the ones that find him. It's not the chief priest. It's not King Herod. It's the Magi. Because followers find. God isn't playing hide and seek with us. He wants to be found by me and you. And so as we start to think about what does this new year look like for us? What does it mean for us to be Christ followers in 2021? I would say let us be people that seek wholeheartedly after Jesus Christ. Let us be people that aren't going to be cynics. It's easy to be a cynic. We live in a cynical time when it is super easy to be cynical and make little or light of what other people are doing in a passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ. But let's not go there. If we feel convicted in a moment, let's accept it and say, man, I want to follow after Jesus too. If we see somebody else doing something amazing for Christ, let's not just watch, but let's get involved and say, God, I see what you're doing, and I want to be involved in that. Let's be people who seek after Jesus Christ. Seek first, Jesus told us. Seek first the kingdom of God. He says, and then everything else will get added to you. Everything else will work its way out. So the question isn't, will God be found? It's, will God be found by you? Will God be found by me? And the answer isn't, is God going to show himself to us? He's already done that. The answer to that question lies in, in one more. It's, are you going to seek after him? Because he will be see, found by everyone who seeks. Jesus told us, he said, if you knock on the door, the door opens. If you ask, you get answers. If you seek, you find. Are we going to seek after Jesus Christ this year? As the worship team comes out, I really want you to think about how you will be seeking after Christ this year. There's so many different ways and tools that you can pursue Jesus. I mean, studying scripture, you can join a podcast, you can be in a community group. We're starting signups for those now where you can get with other believers who want to seek after Jesus Christ. But the question isn't, are you going to do those things? It's just, are you going to make the decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ this year? That's the question. So as we sing the song, I want you to, to feel free. If you want to sit, go ahead and sit and just pray and say, God, would you give me the strength and the courage and the knowledge to know how to find you? Otherwise, why don't you stand and join us as we sing and celebrate what God is doing 
and our commitment to seek after him.